creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need A creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Do you ever get in that situation creatively where you're hungry, but you don't know what you're hungry for? Like you can't decide where to go for dinner and you and your wife just sit in the car for 30 minutes arguing because nothing sounds good. I've been there a million times, both in real life with food and with creative food, with inspiration. Like there's a lot of times where I feel like I need something, but I just don't know what it is. And so if you're ever in that space, I'm gonna every once in a while make some episodes that are basically a smorgasbord, a buffet of creative inspiration. I'm gonna give you in this episode, I'm going to give you seven different episodes of different podcasts from seven different categories that all relate to the stuff that we talk about on this show. And you're just going to see, you're going to taste a little bit of each one and see if any of these are restaurants you want to visit. Now, you also don't need to visit any of these restaurants because by the time you finish this episode, you will be full because each one of these, I'm going to recommend an episode of someone else's podcast but I'm also going to give you an actual taste. I'm going to give you a full bite. It's a flight of podcasts so that um, each, each one that I mention, I'm going to tell you a lesson or a takeaway from those that I took and acted on. Um, so you'll be full by the time you listen to this, no matter what you're hungry for, even if you don't even know what it is you're looking for. And if you, if you want to use it as an appetizer to dive into a bigger entree with one of these podcasts, more power to you, you know, eat until your creative stomach is full. Okay, let's do it. And if you stay to the end, you're some juiciness. Number seven is one that there's a part of me that doesn't want to tell you this one. And I will um, explain what that is, but out of sheer principle of sharing the goods, even when I'm like, this is too good, I want to keep it for myself. Um, I just believe in abundance and sharing, and I'm just even, I'm going to go against that feeling to keep it to myself if you stick around to the end. All right, let's go. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AndyJPizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. 
I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Each recommendation that I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you the podcast. I'm going to tell you the episode that I recommend. And then I'm going to give you a kind of hashtag on how that relates to the kind of content that you may come to this podcast for so that you can kind of diversify your creative palette, so to speak. And part of the inspiration for this episode was that we kind of had to take two weeks off last minute a couple weeks ago because I was working on a kid's book deadline and we just couldn't make it work. And I gave myself a little bit of a break and it was really useful. But at the same time, I thought, uh, you know, I have all these go-to podcasts and a lot of them are not super well-known, but they are a really big part of my creative practice. And You know, I am assuming that because you listen to this show, that all of the lessons that I share from each of these podcasts will feel exciting and relevant to you, even if each of these podcasts aren't your flavor, because the the takeaways I'm going to share are my flavor, the, the kind of thing that I share on this show every single week. But Keep your ears peeled for something about the way I said peeled there that really felt like peeling ears, which (laughs) whatever way you peel that, it does not sound good. (laughs) I said it too literally somehow, Uh, but keep them peeled Peeled, because one of these podcasts might really pique your fancy, but that's, that's the practice. I'm going to say, here's the podcast. Here's an episode I recommend. Uh, Here's the hashtag of a hashtag that it has in common with creative pep talk. And then I'm going to give you a little takeaway. All right. The first one is in writing with Hattie Crystal. I believe her name is. And um, the episode I'm going to tell you about is Ruben Ostland, who is a, it's an interview with Ruben Ostland, who is a Swedish filmmaker, I believe. And uh, he made the movie triangle of sadness, which I believe is up for a bunch of Oscars. And um, this was a fascinating interview. And, and the reason, the takeaway that I had from this was the idea of writing on stage can be something you do in private. So if you're a, a new listener of this show, then you might not know the term writing on stage. It's one that we use nearly every week because it's such a big part of my creative philosophy on how to get the best possible work that you are capable of. Uh, The idea is writing on stage. It comes from stand-up comics and it's the way that they approach writing that has this feedback loop that allows you to workshop your material and get your best ideas by playing with the problem, but by not just secretly in a room making your work and then bringing it out fully finished for the first time you ever share it with anybody. You know, that process, there's a lot of ways in which, unless you're just completely and utterly brilliant, there are a lot of ways in which that process cannot lead to the best work that you can uh, realize. And there's a bunch of reasons why that is, but writing on stage is something that, Basically, comics will come up with some ideas of like, these are things I think are funny and then go to the comedy club and get on stage and they'll start talking through those subjects. But they're also writing up there. They're adding things. They're improving things. They're feeling how it hits the audience in real time. They're looking at their faces and they're and they're determining, like, are they getting what's funny about it? Uh, but also, do I feel authentic as I'm delivering this? Like sometimes I'll have an idea for an episode or an episode uh, for a kid's book or a, uh, an illustration. And then as I go to tell somebody about it, I can tell that I don't like the idea. You know, and I and I could have made the whole idea lying to myself, 
finishing the project, putting it out there without ever feeling that feedback loop of having to tell it to someone face to face and knowing what I need to tweak or whether I need to abandon it. It's just super powerful as a process. And, you know, initially, I think I first ran into this process in the world of business in the season of my life when I was trying to get my career off the ground and I was reading all these business books and all that sort of thing. And in Silicon Valley, you hear a lot about this kind of failing fast MVP idea, which just says, you know, put out a product, the minimal viable product, and then see how people use it and how people respond to it rather than trying to perfect this product in the dark put it out there. And there are countless examples of this. One is one really famous one that gets mentioned a lot is Instagram, where Instagram was initially, I think like a bourbon tasting app, something of that nature. And uh, they, they put this app out and nobody was using it for the bourbon tasting community grading system. They were all just using this feature in the app that was just throwaway, which was these filters that Instagram was super famous for at the beginning, right? These filters that made your photos look like they were old timey or something. Um, and that's what everybody was doing. And so they pivoted to being a photo sharing app. And, and the same is true for any of the material that you use. And if you're a stand-up comic, that looks like coming up, coming up with a few ideas and then writing them fully out in front of people. However, I felt like this episode of in writing was really powerful as an example of how you can do that. Even if you have something like a film that you're working on in which it's really, really hard to write on stage truly because it's such an expensive process. Like if you to finish a film and then workshop it in front of test audiences, like, yes, that happens. And, and I think Ruben even talks about doing that, but you're already so far into the process. You can't exactly blow it up and just tell the production company like, sorry, we wasted tons of money. We got to start over. That's not going to work. And I feel as a creator uh, in conversation with lots of creators, illustrators, different types of artists, uh, this idea of writing on stage can often feel like impossible because we don't have a system set up like stand-up comics do where we can kind of actively workshop our material in real time. But Ruben, was a, uh, he, he talked about how he writes on stage for his film. By the time he sits down to actually write the script, he already knows what the whole movie's about, what the acts are about, how it develops. And he doesn't know it because he's worked on a bunch of outlines. He knows it because he's had a hundred conversations about the idea. And so he actively, that he builds that into his process. And I would put that on you. Do you have built into your process places and spaces where you can sit down in front of people and hash out your ideas? Now, when I was starting out, I had that built into my week. I had friends that even we had it in the books, like every Friday morning at 5 a.m., we are going to get coffee together and we are going to talk for two hours about our different creative processes and what we're working on. And so recently I found, especially through COVID, I don't have those anymore. And so I've been actively seeking them out started taking some different writing classes and, um, you know, connecting with people online and just, just basically exploring any way possible that I can get those stages, those private stages where I can write on stage and I can share my ideas and I can feel how it feels to deliver it before I put in all the time actually finishing it. Yeah. So I, I recommend it whole bunch of other good stuff in there. Another episode that I recommend is with Georgia Pritchett, who is a British writer. Uh, this is, um, it's a, the podcast actually made by a British writer. Um, but Georgia Pritchett is a, is a British comedy writer. She wrote a book called my, this mess is a bit of a life or something like that. I read that book really hilarious. I mean, she is so funny and that episode is just hilarious and um, she's a brilliant writer. She wrote on Veep and then Secession. Um, 
is it secession? Is it succession? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't watch that show. Um, but Georgia Pritchett, that's a great episode too. All right. That's the first one. If, and, and the hashtag is craft. If you're really into like talking shop creatively about the craft of making, uh, even if you're not a writer, I find writers are just really good at articulating the creative process and anybody can learn from them. So that's one I recommend. First one is in writing and the episode is with Ruben uh, Ostland, which is a recent episode. They just came back from a big hiatus on that podcast. And that was one of the first ones back. Number two is a, a podcast I've mentioned on here before. It is a podcast that is part of the Coloop Podcasts group. It's called You're a Storyteller, but uh, it's with Jesse Bryan and Brian McDonald. If you've listened to more than two episodes of this show, you've heard me talk about Brian McDonald. I really, I love the way his brain works and the way that he thinks about story. Uh, I don't probably share exactly his exact story philosophy, but I, I feel like it's a breath of fresh air in, in terms of how we think about story in modern times. Uh, but the reason I wanted to highlight it again is because they just did an episode about Brian's new book called Land of the Dead. Now, I bought the book. I haven't read it yet. I'm working through a couple other books first. But that episode gave me such a huge creative breakthrough. And I'm not going to spoil it, but I highly recommend going into that episode and and soaking up this idea of land of the dead. I'll give you just a glimpse of what it's about. It's essentially about how so many stories are, I mean, most stories follow some elements of the, the hero's journey. And usually what that means just in the most abstract sense is a character, a hero that goes from the normal everyday world into a world that's extraordinary and then back to home, back to their ordinary world. Usually it's a, a leaving where what they're used to, going into a weird place and then coming out of that place. And that weird place, one way of thinking about it is what Brian calls the land of the dead. And the reason it's the land of the dead is because it's not a place where that character can live permanently. They can only visit it. And Brian talks about how the dead, quote unquote, the dead are people who we look to for experience or we look to for wisdom or magical ideas. And, you know, when you go into the hospital, that's the land of the dead. When you go to a funeral home, that's the land of the dead. But there are all kinds of other examples. Anywhere that you couldn't live permanently is a land of the dead that you're just temporarily visiting. And it got me thinking about a personal experience, which I'll share with you because I think it's I don't know, juicy for me, at least I'm, I'm into way into it. Um, but then I want to pose to you a question that I took from it that helped me see a bunch of seeds of all kinds of new ideas that were fresh for the planting. <laughs> I was going to say picking, but you don't really pick seeds fresh for the planting. And, uh, and so the experience that I realized was a land of the dead experience for me was something I've talked about on the show, talked about in different talks, but I don't feel like I really got the full takeaway until I listened to this episode of You Are a Storyteller. And that is the experience I had when I graduated college. I had a taste for making illustration for clients and kind of living my dream. And then I don't know if it was the trend trendy style that I was working in kind of dried up or if it was the recession, but it was a combination of those things. Or if it was that I moved far away from big cities back to um, a suburb in America. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but my career tanked overnight and I couldn't make any money. And I ended up working at a youth shelter slash detention center. And the reason this was the land of the dead for me was because this podcast actually uh, is all about 
helping anybody that doesn't feel like the world was set up for them to thrive, how they can create their own world, how they can create their own path. Uh, I feel like this show often gets seen as like a follow your dreams show, but I don't feel like it's that at all because I don't really, it's definitely not about achieving uh, trophies to put on the shelf or, or badges of um, glory or something. It's not about that at all. For me personally, goals and achievements are only valuable in in how they allow you to do more of the things that you love and are good at and provide meaning and value to other people and are fulfilling. So um, anyway, I'm getting off track, but here's why that was the land of the dead and what it, it how it relates to um, uh, the purpose of this show. So for me personally, I had spent all of my time and energy around the notion that I knew that I could not go into traditional employment long-term. Traditional employment was the land of the dead because it felt like being in jail. From the first part-time job I ever had at the movie theater, I remember going into that little box, the ticket box, where I would sell tickets and lose tons of money um, because I couldn't pay attention and, and do the math on the fly and all that. That little ticket box felt like jail to me. And I just knew like, this is not a long-term solution. This is not a world in which I can live in. And so I, that's why I went into creativity. That's why I went into being an illustrator. That's why I had to be a freelancer. And I, I just did everything I could to avoid traditional employment because it felt like jail. And then when my career tanked and I had to just get the first job I could get that could pay off the bills that were stacking up, uh, the only job I could get was at this youth shelter, but that youth shelter was connected to a juvenile detention center. And in order to work at the youth shelter, you had to pick up shifts on both sides. And so uh, this is literally the same building kind of cut into two. One side is for taking care of teenagers that are out of a home. Uh, and the other side is, a, is, is basically a jail. And I remember walking into my first shift in that and feeling like, how did I go from almost living my dreams to living my nightmare? Because I'd done everything I could to avoid traditional employment because it felt like jail since I was a teenager to ending up in a traditional employment jail for teenagers. And, um, I always, I kind of eventually got to that space where I saw that kind of symmetry, but I didn't really know what the takeaway was until I listened to this episode. And I'm going to tell you why that the land of the dead helped me figure that out. And then also how to apply it to your own stories and your own ideas and experiences that can turn into the seeds of new pieces of work. But what, it, what happened was when I realized that this was the land of the dead, I started thinking about what was the actual lesson that I took from that. Now, whenever I started to say like, what is the lesson? There's something in my brain that locks up because it's like trying too hard and the thing that unlocked it for me was, what do I tell people about that experience? And so that's the takeaway that I want you to have. Like the experiences that you've had, rather than think like, what do I have to share? What do I have to teach? You know, and putting all this weight on that experience. Can you just say, when you talk about this time of your life, when you talk about your childhood, when you talk about middle school, when you talk about um, the divorce that your parents went through, when you talk about your cousins moving away, whatever it is, whatever those memorable moments were, what are the things that you find noteworthy enough to share? Because for me personally, the thing that I found myself telling people about working at the youth shelter and juvenile detention center other than the fact that it was my living nightmare was that the really interesting thing was that it was the same kids most of the time on the shelter side as the detention side, meaning the kids that ended up homeless in the shelter side, getting taken care of, uh, those kids often would find themselves in the detention center and vice versa. Like they would just, the same kids would show up on both sides of the building. 
And the thing that was really interesting was that depending on which side of the building they were in would totally change their personality and demeanor and their behavior. And I found it, uh, it goes into this bigger thread that we might explore in this show, or I'm going to explore in other creative projects, this thread of what you believe about yourself and your inherent goodness or badness. Like if you think you're a good thing or you think you're a bad thing really determines on whether you do good or bad things. And, and, and what I found was when they believed that they were a good thing that deserved a shelter, deserved to be taken care of and fed because they were a good thing, because humans deserve to be treated with that respect and dignity, they acted with respect and dignity. They, when they were on the shelter side and they felt like I'm here because I, I got here because I'm a good thing that needs to be taken care of. They acted like good things. But when they were on the juvenile detention center side, those same kids that felt like I'm here because society needs protected from me, they acted in ways that we had to protect them from others. And it occurred to me that you could be in exactly, literally the same building. You could be in the same place, but, but, but depending on why you think you're there will change how you behave. And that's the power of your mindset, right? And so that was the lesson that I took from that. It goes into bigger creative projects that I'm working on. But the question that I'd add for you, that the, the prompt or the takeaway would be, what do you tell people about various experiences? List out a couple experiences that come to mind that were formative, that were unusual, that were surprising, that were not the norm. And then just try to bullet point a few things of what do you go around telling people? Because I go, I went around telling people like, oh, it's the same kids on both sides. Uh, and their behavior was completely different depending on whether they were in the juvie or whether it, they were in the shelter. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, oh, there's something there. There's something powerful. There's something universal in that specificity. So, so rather than think, what's the lesson? What's the big, huge, life-shattering takeaway? Just say, what do you end up telling people about those experiences? And then use that to make some new pieces of work. The hashtag that I'm going to put on this one is substance. If you listen to this show to find prompts for seeds of work that have some substance from your life experience. I think that episode is going to help you. Number three, I'm going to do a lot faster than the first two. Uh, <laughs> number three is NPR's Life Kit, and the episode I'm going to share with you is one that was created by a past guest from this show, Malika Garib. Uh, we had her on in the fall of last year, 2022. She did a graphic novel that I was a I was a graphic memoir that I was a big fan of. It won't always be like this, is what it's called. Um, and that was, I mean, I really loved that book. I I always read in the bath every morning. That's kind of my <laughs> habit, ritual, and I feel so fondly about this, the space and time where that was the book I was reading. I don't know why, but it was just, it's just really good. And uh, Malika Garib is a graphic novelist and artist, but also works as a journalist and an editor for NPR and has worked on several shows. I think currently she's working on Life Kit, and she hosted a couple episodes one of which I wanted to share with you, which is making art is good for your health. And the reason I wanted to share this one was a couple things. The first one was I had so many people reach out about the episode I did, episode 400 with Sophie and her anti-goal, which has been a big conversation thing for our household. And the idea of like, what are you not going to get sucked into in your creative practice this year? What is the opposite of what you're trying to do so that you can be really aware of it so that you don't fall into that rut? And for Sophie, as she got back into her creative practice this year more, in a more intentional way, or, or last year, she felt herself 
going into this thing of, oh, I've got to make this, I've got to make work to sell, I've got to make this practice self-sustaining and all these different things. And we talked about in that episode how there's a lot of people that come out of full-time parenting that feel the pressure to pick up right where they left off, even if that was a decade ago or 15 years ago, and that you need the creative freedom to explore again and start over and, and connect with who you are now. And so for people that really resonated with that episode and that idea, I feel like there's a sense in which all across creativity, I can just, the, the creative world and creators and in my own practice, there is a need, there's a desire. I think with COVID is a big part of it. Um, there was a touching base with our true intentions. You know, for me personally, I even mentioned, I think earlier in this episode, how goals for me, I, I, it's easy to forget how goals, the goal was always the, to, to achieve something, you know, to get a, to work with a particular client, not because that client on the client list actually matters, but what that would represent, what would that mean for the kind of creative practice I have? It would, it'd be a marker, a benchmark that says you are working in the kind of work you're doing, the kinds of processes you're on the kind of creative journey that you want to be on, not because you want to get to that destination. And so I feel like there's just this thing happening across the all creative industries. So many people are feeling like I need to get back to why I make stuff and remember what making stuff for the sake of making it was all about when I started out. Why did I say yes to this creative journey? It wasn't the destination. It was this. These are the kind of paths I want to carve out. This is the kind of environment that I enjoy being in as I'm traveling through. Right. Um, and so that resonated a ton. And I thought this episode was really great because it's about creativity as a mental health exercise, detaching yourself from the end result. And then ultimately the takeaway, my favorite takeaway is one we've explored a couple of times on the show, but it is about making something with someone particular in mind, making something as a gift for somebody. And it got me thinking hard about this idea of with AI, I'm just struck by how impressive it is and how many creatives I actually, there's tons about AI. I should just say, cause we did a whole episode about it that I think is really super cool. And I think there's a bunch of potential for some really cool stuff. There's a bunch of potential for super destructive chaos, but um, I, I feel I have mixed feelings about it, but when it comes to the art that it's making, I'm struck by how impressive the art is and then how many creators feel so deflated because of how creative that work is or how, how impressive it is. I mean, and it it's taken the wind out of their sails. And for me personally, I feel like it can also be a touching base with what art's about because I don't think art is primarily about impressing people. I think that can be a component of it. I do. I think it can be a thing that gets people's attention. I think it can be a part of the inspiring awe, but I feel like it's, it's about something deeper than that. And when, when AI can do the most impressive things in, in seconds, uh, maybe it'll help us reconnect to what is this about? And, and the same goes for when you make something for one particular person, it, the easy thing to go to is what would be impressive? Like what would just be jaw dropping, awe inducing, like buying him a car or a new trip to Hawaii or what, you know, whatever, all these things you could give that would definitely invoke feeling because they would be impressive and exciting, but we don't have, most of us don't have infinite cash to do impressive gift uh, giving, right? We, what do we have to do? Then instead, what we have to do is we can't spend infinite money, but we can spend time being infinitely considerate. And that consideration is where all of a sudden, instead of it being an impressive gift, it becomes a meaningful one. And I also am just of the belief that we're not all so unique that if you made a gift that was so perfectly tailored to this one individual that really uh, j just connected to their own tastes, that that 
would at least be the seed of a body of work that could relate to all people that have that taste. And so you can do that for your own taste, but sometimes it's hard to do that. You need to get a, an outside perspective. So what would it look like to make a piece of work that was a gift for maybe someone who has very similar taste to you? And I, I challenge you to really take that as a prompt. And the hashtag on this one is going to be process or advice. If you come to this show for getting excited about the process of making or get, or if you go, you can listen to that particular episode for that. Or if you come to this for just some advice, just some kind of prompts to improve your life. Life kit is all about that. It's a, it's a, it's a kit for your life. Um, with new advice all the time, and I'd go check out the episodes that Malika Garib is the host of. Okay, so I lied to you. I didn't lie to you knowingly, uh, but we're not going to go through all seven or eight, including the bonus podcasts. We're going to break this up into two pieces because guess what? I had more to say about the subject than I realized. What a surprise. Um, (laughs) So we're going to break it into two parts. So stay tuned for that. But the last one we're going to talk about on this episode is uh, Philosophize This. Now, Philosophize This is a phenomenal podcast if you are into philosophy. If you come to this show for my own brand of half-baked pizza philosophy, um, (laughs) then you might like this. Now, if you're not super into philosophy, it might be a little bit too heavy for you, but I highly recommend it. Could not be a bigger fan of that show. I'm I'm a supporter on Patreon of the show. And uh, I just think he does incredible work at making philosophy really accessible. And I'm a huge fan. And I and also think I, I didn't realize because I didn't go to a traditional American college where you have general studies. I never took any philosophy college uh, philosophy classes while I was in co- uh, college. Um, and I, so I didn't. I don't. I, this was kind of my introduction to philosophy, but I've listened to. Uh, a very large portion of all of the episodes. And I didn't realize because I don't have that background that so many philosophers spent a decent portion of their thinking time around the topic of what creativity is and what the purpose of it is and how to do it and all that kind of stuff. Lots of philosophers had, have a lot to say about creative practice. And so there's tons of good stuff there, but I want to talk about, he did a recent run of episodes on Simone Fay, which is, I believe spelled V E I L. And the episode I want to talk about is the need for roots. Now, Simone Fay, from what I understand, I'm not even sure that she was a theist per, per se, but she talks a lot about God and I think God is an incredibly powerful word to describe the mystery, the part of life that we sense, but we can't grasp. And it doesn't really matter what your spiritual disposition is or perspective is. It can be a word that summarizes a lot of the mystery of what it's like to interact in the universe that we find ourselves in, which you know, our sensory perception is super limited. So we we're there's only 95 or there's only 5% of the world that's even visible, right? So there's so much that we don't get to interact with or interface with directly. And we only have an emotional or intuitive sense of, and some of those intuitions are maybe not accurate and some of them are, and we don't really know. But God is a word that can get at some of that mystery and Simone Weil was really fascinating. And this episode was phenomenal. And she talks about the need for being an antenna of God, finding space and time to, I think what she's getting at is reconnect to the oneness of the universe, that you are part of the whole, that you are not existing without anything else. It made me think of Alan Watts talking about how, you know, um, you are in a way everything that you need to survive. Like you can't survive without your heart and your brain. And therefore that is part of you. 
but you also can't survive without the sun. And so the sun, in a way, has a connection and a oneness with you. And everything else, in you know, the oxygen and the planet and other people, like we are unable to exist without others. And the, the host of this show talks about Simone Weil's practice of getting back in touch with that oneness, getting connected and being an antenna for what she describes as God. And it's so exactly put to words and articulated what it's like for me to have a creative process and have a creative practice and and make the show and make art and chart my path and, and look for the next steps and all that. One thing that I do on a very, very, very regular basis is just try to sit and get in touch with what is going on on the inside and listen to that voice. Now, I don't really know what that voice is. One practice I do very frequently, more and more frequently, uh, and we're going to talk about this in part two of this episode next time, but one of the, one practice I, I've become very obsessed with is interpreting dreams. And I don't think it's in a way that is overly mystical, although, although it has a sense of mysticism for me, but it's more just like trying to get to the bottom of what is this dream saying about what's going on in my head? What's going on in my feelings? Why are these images emotionally charged? And what are the associations with that? And that's one of the ways that I get reconnected to what is here right now in me. And I just saw someone who has been following me on Instagram and they said that they feel like I'm in their head. And I said, that is very much on purpose because I'm always trying to co- connect to what Carl Jung would call the collective unconscious by just co- connecting to my own conscious. Because even if we don't have some mysticism, mystical connection to all other consciousnesses, although I think that idea sounds really fun and cool, um, even if we don't, we're all experiencing a lot of similar things. And so when you connect to what's going on within you, you're of course going to be connecting into what's going on in the culture. And Simone Weil talks about becoming an antenna of God, and she gives you three exercises that can help you do that. I think they boil down to the same essential thing, which I'll end with. But the three exercises are one, going out in nature, two, helping somebody else, uh, and three, she says a religious ceremony. Now, I think it could be a religious ceremony, but I think it could be anything in which you dissolve into a group of people and you you relinquish your right as an individual to be something that is separate from others. And so in a way, I think, yeah, sure, it could be a religious ceremony, but I kind of feel like I can get that experience from a concert. I can anything in which I'm a fan When you're a fan, when you allow yourself to fan out, what happens is you're identifying with the whole rather than the center. And I think anything that you fan out about can have that quality of oneness. So when I meet somebody who, like I I went to GameStop the other day and this isn't an ad for GameStop, but I tell you what, man, I love GameStop. Um, Not for maybe the normal reasons, but I just love the people that work there. Because they're su- they're fans, man. And they're unapologetic fans almost always. And they, if you get them talking about one of the games they like, it, I just love being in the presence of passion. I just do. I love when people are nerding out. And it doesn't even matter what it's about, right? Um, but I ran into somebody at GameStop that was in the exact place that I was in, in Elden Ring, the video game, when I was there. And we just started like fanning out, connecting, and the individualism just melts. But I feel that if I go to a concert, like when I went to see Soccer Mommy um, or Whitney, um, these are two two bands I'm a big fan of. Uh, And it's hard for me because I have this deep sense of otherness because I'm a weird human and I take probably probably too much pride in that, uh, over-identify in the individualism. It's hard for me to, I don't get that, sense very I don't come by that experience very easily you know a lot of people get it at sports 
games, um, sports events, and I never get it there. And even at a concert, it there's a lot of things that have to happen for me to turn off my judgment and um, and dissolve the the ego into that space. But like I said, I'd went to a few concerts that this year where that really happened, and it and it. And I think it was the posture of the singer, like the singer of Whitney and the singer of Soccer Mommy. I felt like both of them in the bands were there to play because they loved the music. And that's not always the case. Anyway, going off on one, but what I wanted to say was I think all three of these exercises, and those, these are your calls to adventure this week, is for you to dissolve into the whole. And I think that all three of those things are about a sense of losing your individualism, risking opening up and connecting to stuff that's greater than you so that you can get in touch with that collective unconscious, with that uh, greater whole, with that antenna for God or the universe or just what's going on within your own psyche. And those are three great things you can do, but I think they all boil down to an openness and I've recently kind of been reinvigorated on this topic because, you know, I've been in a season, I think it's probably, uh, we, I've talked about COVID a few times in, in this episode. I think that we've been in a very closed place um, for safety and that makes tons of sense. And I'm not even making a call on whether you should get out in public or not. It could be, still could be via the internet. It's wh- whatever your call is, it's not my place to say, but it, it got me thinking about with COVID and with sickness and, and with um, the particulars of keeping safe in your body, it got me thinking about how cells do this. So cells in your body, they have a nucleus, they have an ego, so to speak. You know what I mean? That says like, I am a cell, I'm one cell. And that nucleus gives them the job and the sense that they are responsible for this little piece of real estate that is their cell body. And that means that when they've suffered some kind of bad experience, they can develop a type of extreme cellular resistance where they refuse to take in anything from the outside. And it is a self-protection mechanism to stay healthy, to stay alive. But of course, a cell is not an individual. It is part of the whole. And therefore, that self-protection is short-sighted because it needs the nutrients. It needs the other cells. It needs the oxygen. It needs all of this stuff. It has to discern what things to open up to and what things not to. And it has to risk getting it wrong sometimes. And I have just felt like a cell in the body so much over the past few years, both in personal relationships, but then also just the, the public safety stuff. Um, but I've just been reminded recently as I've allowed myself to thoughtfully and purposefully discern where there are potential safe spaces to open up myself to be dissolved into the whole and remember that in some ways, in many ways, I am a cell in the greater body of the human race and this planet and the universe. And I think that when you, uh, I think that both are necessary spaces to embody, but I feel like if you want to tap into the deeper work where you make something and people feel like, Hey, were you in my head? That's only going to happen because you opened yourself up to that collective unconscious to actually be in their head. And that's the kind of experience. That's the kind of creative work that I think resonates on the deepest frequency is when we are tapped into the collective experience rather than just our own individual experience. And I know from experience that it's not easy to do. And I just wanted to encourage you to get out in nature, go help somebody and remember that their happiness is connected and in, in, can be in a healthy way connected to yours and that if you can't get to a religious ceremony finding some way to fan out and lose your sense of needing to be the center 
of a creative endeavor and be on the other side as a consumer and remember why you're passionate passionate about making stuff in the first place. Quick summary in case you missed anything. Number one is uh, in writing, the podcast in writing, and we talked about writing on stage in private, private stages. Uh, I think that's the whole idea of writing on stage is finding little safe spaces where people have, you know, metaphorically locked up their phone and aren't streaming like they do in the comedy clubs, um, where you can work it all out in, in safe places before you even sit down to make anything. I think that can be really cool. Uh, number two was you are a storyteller at Land of the Dead. And we talked about, instead of all this way of, what do I have to teach people? Just what do you have to tell people? What's the interesting, juicy bit of the big experiences of your life and how those can be seeds to the next piece of work you make? Number three was Life Kit with Malika Garib. And we talked about creating something with someone specific in mind and what that looks like and how also to transition away from creative work purely being about impressing people. And the last one was Philosophize This, where we talked about Simone Weil uh, and the episode Need for Roots and being an antenna of God and, and opening up and connecting with the greater whole and identifying with the whole rather than just as an individual. I hope something in this was uh, true creative sustenance. I hope um, you found something at the Golden Corral of uh, this Creative Pep Talk episode. Um, the podcast Golden Corral. That could be the name of the episode, but I'm not going to do that because no one will listen to it. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, hope that you uh, hope you got something from it, and we'll come back uh, in a part two with the other list, some super juicy stuff, and that one that I was telling you about um, that I don't want to tell you about, but I am on principle going to tell you about because uh, I b- believe in sharing, um, even if part of me is selfish. Okay, thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Massive thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing the show. Thanks to Katie Chandler, Ryan Appleton, and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all kinds. And thanks to you for listening and for the patrons, Patreon patrons for making this possible. Uh, Until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.